Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this episode, we're looking at three major deals that are going on in Asia that reflect wider trends there. I'm joined by Ed Vinales, Public Markets Editor for Deal Reporter and Par in Asia-Pacific, and Annette Johnson, Editor for Deal Reporter in Asia-Pacific. Hi, Annette. Hi, Ed. Welcome. Thank Hello. you. Firstly, let's look at the take private as South Korean chip company Magnachip Semiconductor. We know that semiconductors are seen as some of the most important strategic companies globally, particularly in the US-China technology war, and there's also a global shortage of chips. Can you begin by giving a brief overview of this particular deal, please? So basically, in late March, a Chinese private equity uh, company, Wise Road Capital, agreed a $1.4 billion take private uh, with Magnachip Semiconductor which is a South uh, Korean-based chip maker. And that was fine. And then everything went a bit pear-shaped. And so can you go into a bit more detail what went wrong and and what's been so surprising to the market about this deal? When the deal was announced, they, they did not have any regulatory conditions relating to Korean regulatory approvals or, or US regulatory approvals. And the reason that they might have had a U.S. regulatory approvals is because a lot of uh, because Cepheus, the the U.S. watchdog, is trying to basically stop any companies globally being bought by the Chinese in that sector. That's been talked about a lot. And so the market, well, then what happened in the months following the announcement of the deal is that there was a lot of political opposition in Korea. Even the deputy prime minister uh, and the, um, came out and said, yeah, we're really concerned about this deal because Magnachip's very important products. It specializes in chips that go in chips that create digital displays in TVs, computer monitors, smartphones, and it has some other you know, power semiconductor related stuff. Anyway, all very sensitive. And they're worried about this falling into the hands of the Chinese. So there was a huge political outburst about the deal. And subsequently, yeah, the US government under Cepheus, the security watchdog, got involved. And because the company is listed in America, but it has no assets in America, but because it's listed in America, the US watchdog thought it had oversight of the deal and basically said, this deal can't go ahead, uh, put an injunction unless you get our approval. And and the Korean equivalent uh, ministry, which is under the Ministry of, of Trade and Industry and Energy, uh, basically did the same thing. And this is that was in June, July, and ever since then, this deal has been undergoing reviews by those two regulators, and the stock price has just collapsed right back to below sort of where it was when the deal started. And yeah, it looks like it's going to get blocked. And we'll come on to talking about the companies with with the US listing uh, in in a bit. But can we first look at the takeover by US private equity group Blackstone of the Beijing and Shanghai focused office developer Soho China? Can you just begin again by giving us a short introduction to the situation, please? 
This is a Hong Kong listed uh, Chinese real estate developer that focuses on offices. Um, it has a few office buildings in Beijing and Shanghai primarily. The deal was announced by the two companies jointly, the private equity firm and the, the listed company in June. And at the time, it seemed like it would be a very straightforward take private. The controlling shareholders, who were also the co-founders and married to each other, owned uh, just over 60% or so, and they had agreed to uh, to sell the bulk of their stake, 55%, into this offer and would retain just a 9% stake. So that meant that basically there was no shareholder approval risk. They would immediately get to the over 50% level where the deal would become unconditional. And there seemed to be very little risk around this deal. It was, however, preconditional on Chinese antitrust regulatory approval and from SAMR. And we initially felt that there was shouldn't be an issue. We, we, uh, it was very... We said the deal was straightforward straight, initially. Straightforward. Most Chinese real estate companies being taken private out of Hong Kong go through a simple case, summer review. It's a sort of tick the box thing almost. They had very little overlap. Uh, there just seemed to be no real reason. So it was looking reasonably straightforward, but then what went wrong? What complicated the situation? Well, we don't know initially. It was the shares that alarmed us. The share price started to slide, but it started to drift. And, you know, then we had a lot of calls from from people in the market, sort of speculating as to what might be wrong. And, you know, we did a lot of analysis on it and trying to look for reasons how this deal might fall apart. And we got one tip off from somebody saying that a few months before the deal was announced, this, one of the sons uh, of one of the couple's kids, basically, had made a, a social media comment critical of Chinese soldiers in a border clash with India last year. And that had caused a bit of commotion on sort of social media sphere. And then it came out that there was concerns about this couple and they were going to cash out and take all their money to the U.S. And they were spending money on U.S. schools, universities, colleges, and not putting that money into to China. So this was kind of – but people were dismissed. This can't be an issue behind the deal, can it? Yeah, but we uh, we kept we kept pursuing this, and we were speaking to more people, and we we got to the stage where we felt that this was a real there was a real issue, even though we couldn't logically see why ourselves, but we became aware that there was an issue, and we wrote a story saying such, which was yeah. met with a lot of disbelief, and well, it caused, the stock. caused the share price <laughs> to tumble. Which made us really popular. And when we said that the we had a source saying that the issue was not so much the deal itself, not so much the competition aspects of the deal, but related to the founders. That there was some concern amongst authorities in China that the founders that related to the founders. And we didn't necessarily go into that much detail about it, but it started to admit appear that the deal, you know, in China at the moment, there's a big com com common prosperity. Uh, you know, this is seen Xi Jinping launch crackdown on technology giants, wealthy individuals, education service providers, celebrities, and all the like. 
And basically, you know, they're trying to encourage one of the things is encouraging high income individuals and businesses to give back more to society. Right. And we, we, you know, I, this deal seems to have fallen foul of that. And what eventually transpired was that while the deal parties, Blackstone and Soho China, both came out and said that the deal had been accepted for review by the antitrust regulator, they never really said whether it was going to be a simple case or a normal case review. Um, neither, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really matter which way. It can be it can be approved or denied under both. However, a simple case would typically get done much much quicker. Um, but very shortly after we had determined that it was being done, being reviewed under a normal case scenario, uh, all of a sudden Blackstone came out and announced that it was withdrawing its offer. Yeah, um, we've been advised we're not going to get approval and. We're walking away from this deal, which was at that stage preconditional, so they could do that, but very odd. Um, and and the stock is now right back to where it was, you know, before the deal. So I mean, it's 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 a company that's trading at a massive discount, and people are still looking at who could come in. But it seems that yeah, uh, the, the Chinese government was not happy that the founders were going to get a lump sum of cash. And and they're, they're based overseas in the US, uh, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's kind of a, it's an interesting company. It's a smallish company, but it's, you know, it's it's got amazing architecture. It's all, you know, it's, all their buildings were built by Zaha Hadid, not all of them, but, um, you know, the, the famous architects and stuff like that. So it's kind of a colorful situation, but, you know, quite telling. Yeah, I think it alerted everyone to the fact that when China has a policy target of any kind, that can tend to to trump anything else, right? Uh, in this case, the common prosperity and the sharing of wealth is is a key focus, and it sort of overtakes everything else. And it might not be detrimental to deals. But it, you can be sure that if, if it touches something that is as sensitive as a, as a policy direction uh, outlined by the president himself, it is worth paying attention to it and, and to see what kind of implications it might have for deal, even one that looked very straightforward from the start. Okay, I'd like to talk about that general mood and, and some of those themes we've touched on in, in a minute. But firstly, can we look at the final situation, which is Razer, the Hong Kong listed designer and maker of gaming peripherals. The company said previously it was considering a secondary listing in the US, but has now indicated that a take private might be on the cards instead. And that's led to speculation about the offer price. Again, can you just give a very brief overview of this situation, please? Yes, this is a, a little bit different. This was a, a sort of a, what we call a pre-event situation. It started off by the share price falling 8.5% almost on, on a, a day in late October, 27th, 28th of October, which led to the company suspending the stock from trading the following day, which is a common thing here. They may have been asked by the regulator to do so. And a day later, they announced that they had discovered that the co-founders 
which control close to 60% of the company, were in fact engaged with financial investors about a potential transaction that could lead to a general offer for the company. Now, that general offer has since, since been made, but in between those two events, the share price started moving because people started speculating that a deal would be done at a significant premium to the market price. But speculation about an offer price isn't unusual. Why does this deal stand out? Well, it stands out in a bit because the market got quite ahead of itself, right? The stock had been listed since November 2017, so just about four years. It's not a very long time. And at the, when it did its IPO in Hong Kong, it listed at $3.88. When the stock was suspended, it was trading just before that 8.5% gain in late October, it was trading at about 181, so well below its IPO price. Uh, But as soon as they got a whiff of a potential take private instigated by the co-founders, the market started believing that they would buy it out at a price that would basically make the people who bought in at the IPO whole. This was helped to some extent by a media report that came out after a couple of weeks saying the deal was going to get done uh, at at up to $4 per share. So more than twice the price of and where that, it was before um, it was suspended. That drove the shares up, right? 15, 20%? That drove the shares up an additional. Uh, I mean, by the time by the time they actually an- did announce the deal, or actually, I should say, by the time we wrote the story outlining our analysis that we had done, plus a tip we got that, in fact, this four dollar price was out of the question among the people, the, the parties involved in the deal. By that time, the stock was already seventy percent above where it had been. And it was above $3. We got a tip that $4 was just not the case. And that jigged with the valuation work that our analysts had done, showing that the stock was already trading at much higher multiples than its peers in the US. And therefore, it seemed very unlikely that a deal that seemed to be including a private equity firm, in this case, CBC, would be paying that much. So we wrote a story saying that the, the price, the market's so too too high, and the bid's going to come in a lot lower, and that sent the shares tanking, a lot of shares tanking today. And we were right. I mean, the bid came in at about two point eight or three or something. Two eighty two. Two eighty two. So all of this is against a backdrop of a US-China technology war and increasing crackdowns in China against a range of industries with with different types of regulation. You've touched on a lot of this in, in your answers. Can you explain how this atmosphere or the the mood in APAC particularly relating to China is going to affect deals going forward in in 2022? Yeah, so look, the Magnachip and the Soho China situations, you know, are, are definitely being affected re- uh, by by regulation and by by China or the reaction to China. So that's going to continue. So we're, what we're seeing now is that Cepheus is speaking to the, the U.S. Re- security regulator, national security regulator, 
is speaking to other counterparts around the world and particularly with an eye on China. And that's, that's, that, that's what's going on. CFS is talking to Koreans, uh, it's talking to the Japanese, it's talking to Australia, the UK, um, and so on, India, um, and uh, to try and prevent, you know, Chinese acquisitions of high-tech companies around the world because they, oh, they're going to take that back and supply it to the PLA, you know, the army in China. And so that's going to continue. And we're seeing that net tighten. And the Magnetship's a good example of that. And the Soho China situation, I think, is just more a reflection of, of the wave of, 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 of regulation that we're seeing this year. You know, the big tech crackdown and, and the common prosperity drive. You know, these, these, are, all, these are all affecting M&A and investments. And, and that's going to continue I would say uh, with regard to, to Razor, I think that fits well in with what I heard an investment banker talked about at a AVCJ forum last week when it comes to looking ahead into, the, into 2022. He was saying that regulatory issues will continue to be at the forefront of investors' minds. They are going to be very cautious about moving too quickly. They're going to have to look at deals on a on a on a selective basis and make sure they know the companies very well which is getting slightly difficult in some cases given you can't do actual physical due diligence in many cases you have to do online due diligence and etc and he was also mentioning the fact that multiples have been getting a bit ahead of themselves and he expected one thing that we would see going into the new year is that deals are going to come at lower multiples or not at all. So when deals are getting flagged, I think investors are going to have to be prepared that they may not get quite as much money out of it as they initially initially thought. Annette and Ed, thanks very much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. That was Ed Vinales and Annette Johnson. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of DealCast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow or subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or check out your Merger Market news alert. Join us next week for another episode. 